welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Andre from Mental Health, and I'm here with Dr. Emily Peckham, and she's going to be talking about the Closing the Gap cohort here at the World Mental Health Day event in York. Emily, tell us what the Closing the Gap cohort is. So the Closing the Gap cohort is a cohort of people with severe mental health that we've been recruiting to for the last three years. So, so far we've recruited about 9,000 people to the cohort, and we've recruited people from both primary care and secondary care. So I think we've got about 26 mental health trusts who've recruited for us and over 100 GP surgeries have mailed out to people on their SMI register, inviting them to take part. So we're really pleased that we've got such a large group of people. Um, And the aim of the cohort really was to benchmark the current lifestyle factors that people with SMI are experiencing. So we looked at the questions we were asking people and they're based on the questions from the Office of National Statistics so that we could compare people with SMI with the general population to see whether there are any differences, whether there were similarities, because people with SMI traditionally don't always take part in those questionnaires. So we tried to make the questionnaire really simple and easy and quick for people to complete so they'd be willing to take part in it. And also wanted to make the eligibility criteria really simple for clinicians to identify eligible people really easily. So there were no barriers to people taking part. So we could get as broad a range of people taking part as we possibly could. So people just need to be aged 18 or over to take part and have a recorded diagnosis of schizophrenia, bipolar or schizoaffective disorder. So we've spent the last three years recruiting people to take part. We've benchmarked the current lifestyle behaviours. But also what we wanted to do was create an opportunity for people to take part in further research. So we asked people, once they'd completed the survey, whether they'd willing be willing for us to contact them again and invite them to take part in research studies that they may be interested in doing, you know, in taking part in. So this really worked really well for our scimitar study, because in that study, if somebody said that they smoked and they wanted to do something about their smoking, you know, cut down or quit we then invited them to take part in the scimitar study so that's how we use the cohort to uh, you know help invite people to other studies because we found that with the scimitar study sometimes clinicians would say well there's nobody on my caseload who wants to do anything about their smoking I've got nobody eligible (laughs) and we knew that that wasn't the case and so it made it much easier to recruit people when we knew that somebody had told us already that they wanted to do something it was harder for a clinician then to say no they don't want to when somebody said to us actually I do want to do something so we're really trying to break down the barriers for people um, to take part in research and make it more possible for people because we think that you know people should have the opportunity and it should be their decision whether they take part so um, doing so via this you know simple survey we hope to make it more possible for people in, to engage in research so some of just our key findings that we're just going to highlight today are that 42 percent of the people we questioned said that they smoked which is quite a high percentage compared to in the region currently it's about 14% of people who smoke so that's much higher than average but one thing we found that was really different um, in terms of people recruited from primary and secondary care is people were much less likely to smoke if they'd been recruited from primary care than if they'd been recruited from secondary care and we don't know quite why that is we've got uh, you know some thoughts on that but that you know it's quite a significant difference we felt but what was really encouraging was that three out of five people who smoked said that they wanted to do something about their smoking and if you asked the general population do you want to do something about their smoking then that would be a similar figure so you know that myth that people with SMI don't want to change their smoking behaviours is a myth and I think that it's really important finding from our cohort that that, that was the case and especially it's, it's such a large number of people you know from 9,000 people that that's quite a high figure. Mm. Um, And one of the other key findings is that um, 
I think it's uh, over 40% of people said maintaining a healthy lifestyle is a top priority. And we thought that was really important as well, because I think there were some myths about that people with SMI may not be concerned about their lifestyle, may not, you know want to improve their health and I think that really shows that again that's another myth so I think the cohort has really helped us to clarify that some of the things that we believe to be myths are indeed myths and hopefully we can go forward with that and you know dispel more myths in that way so um in terms of the number of people who said that they wanted to take part in further research, there's 74% of people who we recruited the cohort said that they'd be interested to be contacted about research. So again, that you know, shows the willingness of people um, that they do want to be involved in research and they do want to be invited to take part in our research studies. So um, just to summarise, you know, we've recruited 9,000 people to our cohort. People do want to be involved in research. They do want to do something about their smoking. And you know, the results can be compared to the general population. Um, so our responses to the survey also can be used to identify people who might be interested in taking part in a future research study. So that's just a you know really quick summary of the talk today and, and what we're aiming to do with our cohort. I'm really interested in this difference in smoking in primary and secondary care recruitment. I remember a study mm. published a few years ago at the Maudsley saying that smoking in the inpatient population was like 90% yeah. or something crazy. Yeah. So, have you got any sense of why that is happening and what the what the different levels are there? We, we wondered whether it's because the people who are just perhaps purely seen in primary care are less unwell and less likely to be admitted to psychiatric hospitals where we know there is a much higher percentage of people likely to smoke because of the culture traditionally within mental health services and we thought maybe that was playing a part between these two differences. We don't really know because we haven't asked people for more details about you know their smoking behaviours other than whether they smoked and whether they wanted to do anything about their smoking but but that's a possibility as to why there's that difference. And it's really interesting that you're using this cohort to inspire recruitment to other intervention trials. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Can I say a few yeah. words? It, this is a, a really exciting idea that's getting traction in applied health research just at the moment. This notion that um, you don't just build one study, you build families of studies and that studies can borrow and lend to each other. So um, we say this is a platform for a whole programme of research to understand some of the causes and some of the consequences of poor physical ill health and how that interacts with people's mental health. And if we were to look to the existing research literature, it's often peppered by small scale studies that have recruited in secondary care settings that gives you quite a skewed view of, um, of the way in which the world is. So what the point that you make about these differences between primary and secondary care are really interesting so it's only by reaching out to the people who currently aren't in contact with secondary care mental health services by recruiting them in primary care that we learn about you know what there's some of the important things that um, um, might help maintain people's sense of physical health and well-being and that's a different section of the population so we think it's really important that these people are given the opportunity to participate in research so we've got this um, this foundation upon which we hope to build a whole program of research to help us understand the causes and consequences of health inequalities for um, for this section of the population. So we do that in lots of ways. So we've got this big observational study. It allows us to do surveys, see how common things are, how common some behaviours are, how common some beliefs are. But also it gives us the opportunity to not just observe things, but also to give people the opportunity to participate in important clinical trials, so interventional type research. And traditionally it's really difficult to recruit people to trials because the way in which the NHS is set up, it puts barriers and barriers and barriers in, in place to um, to prevent people getting involved in trials that they'd be genuinely interested in. So 
By setting up this cohort, it enables us to go straight to people and ask them if they're interested in participating in new research that would be of interest to them. And um, when we were able to do that, we get very high uptake rates and it enables us to do large scale trials to answer important questions for service users and for NHS services and to do them much more quickly, much more rapidly. And because they're large scale, it gives us that ability to derive statistical certainty around the estimates that we get. So one of the first trials that we've done in this area is the smoking trial. We'll hear about the smoking trial this afternoon, the CIMISAR trial. And it's a big trial. It's the biggest trial that's ever been conducted in this area. And I don't think it would have worked if we'd not been able to embed it within this cohort. So here we've got a, an observational cohort, tells us lots about people's lives, but we've also got uh, an interventional study that's helped us understand how we might um, use behavioural interventions to um, enable people to give up smoking if that's what they want to do. And we've got some concrete results that show that um, by engaging in interventions that have been specifically designed for people with severe mental ill health, you double your chances of successfully quitting. So the downstream benefits of that are substantial. So we were only able to do that trial because we put these um, building blocks in place. So the Closing the Gap cohort underpins this trial, but we hope it will underpin many other trials and other types of research as well. So qualitative research, people might be interested in talking in some detail or depth about the, um, the nature of their problems. So we're at the beginning of a journey and um, we think it's a really exciting project and um, we've got really positive feedback. We've got a user-led group that help us think about the questions that are important, the design of the questionnaires and um, so with this the direction of travel. Yeah, no, um, as a mental health nurse I'm, I really um, am interested in what you were saying about the kind of disparity between what clinicians are saying and, um, and people actually wanting to participate in the research and also um, the assumption that um, the rates in, in the general population around people wanting to give up smoking are different and that actually they're not and um, I think that possibly links to some sort of deeper issues around um, othering people as well um, in clinical practice and I think the well-being um, aspect is really important as well because I used to manage a rehab and recovery unit in a, in a village and people with severe mental illness were trying to access local sort of exercise um, classes that were going on in, in the local community. And what was more of a barrier for them was the way that they felt stigmatised and excluded from those groups. And I think it probably points towards you know, deeper issues. And I think given that we've got an NHS plan that's focused on communities and uh, you know, asset-based approaches, that there's something in that around how we work differently because clearly there's an inequality people can't necessarily afford to go to expensive gyms but we need to look at what other um, facilities and things that we can um, put that put in place for people so yeah great work thanks for sharing it with us closing the gap cohort and the closing the gap network which is the wider um, mental health research network is on twitter ctg network uk follow these people and get involved mm -hmm.